folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This is actually episode 195. We are getting close to uh, the Magic 200 number, and I guess we'll have to plan something special for that. But, uh, you know, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, this week, I wanted to have a look at this recent uh, newsletter article about an outage at Datadog that sadly was actually triggered by an update to SystemD on their Ubuntu machines, and it was a security update that triggered this thing. Um, but it is really interesting to dive into, and I didn't want to just discuss it with myself because that's, uh, you know, boring hearing me talk to myself. So I've got Camilla back and we will be diving into that uh, in a bit. But first, let's do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases this past week. So there were 66 unique CVEs that went out and a bunch of updates were done for various kernel packages. So we had an update for uh, the 5.4 based kernel for um, Raspberry Pi in uh, Ubuntu 20.04 LTS and uh, 18.04 LTS and that's the hardware enablement kernel there. Um, I actually talked about uh, the main vulnerability here back in last week's episode. This was a use after free in uh, the traffic control index uh, filter in the networking subsystem and uh, the fix for that actually was just to remove that whole filter from uh, the kernel so that is not available anymore and actually that is through most of our kernels nowadays because that is the I guess accepted upstream fix that that TC index filter is uh, really kind of unused and unmaintained so that is gone uh, similarly, we had an update for the kernel, uh, the 5.15 kernel on Raspberry Pi on 22.04 LTS, and that's actually also, this version of the kernel is also used for um, Azure for their confidential computing uh, projects, so that includes full disk encryption. That includes, yeah, that TC index use after free plus a use after free in IO Uring subsystem. Both of those were fixed. We also had kernel updates for uh, the 5.17 kernel in 22.04 LTS. Uh, that's actually an OEM kernel, so that is used on uh, particular uh, hardware that Ubuntu comes pre-installed on and others. Uh, again, the use after free in TC index, the IO Uring use after free, and a logic issue in OverlayFS that I talked about again actually back in last week's episode, plus a race condition in the handling of uh, copy on write, read-only shared memory mappings, meaning that a unprivileged user could actually get right onto these you know, nominally read-only mappings and therefore escalate their privileges. Uh, similarly, a kernel update for a 6.0 based kernel that is again an OEM kernel for 22.04 LTS users uh, had those same uh, fixes in it plus a few others uh, and we also had updates for a few other kernels too. Uh, none of these had uh, particularly uh, you know, higher critical vulnerabilities in them but our 5.19 kernel on uh, 22.10 and 22.04 uh, Azure environments was updated as well as the 5.15 kernel uh, for 22.04 and 20.04 uh, as the hardware enablement stack there and our 4.15 based kernel which is the 18 the kernel for 18.04 LTS and also used uh, on uh, 16.04 uh, as part of a Ubuntu Pro there on AWS 2. Moving on from kernel updates we had an update for a bunch of components that make up uh, various bits of OpenStack. Cinder, Glance Store, Nova and OS Brick were all updated. Uh, these all relate to a single vulnerability where there could be an inconsistency between uh, Cinder and that's the block storage service of OpenStack and Nova which is the compute or virtual server kind of provisioning part of OpenStack essentially where you could uh, have storage volumes that would then get attached to the wrong compute instances. Um, that would happen when you were trying to detach a volume from an instance and it would essentially get confused and you know, end up attaching it to the wrong one potentially. Uh, as a result you can imagine you know you have various security issues from that, you know, info leak and the like. 
the problem, I guess, with OpenStack, you've got lots of interacting components here. They all need existent view of the system. So there was yet lots of updates here for different parts of it to kind of resolve that. Uh, unfortunately, as a result of that, uh, the update for uh, Nova on 2004 LTS uh, had a regression, meaning that in some circumstances, uh, Nova would not be able to detach volumes from instances. That was then fixed by a subsequent update. What else? We had an update for Firefox to the latest upstream release, uh, 113, and that is for uh, 2004 LTS and 1804 LTS. Uh, on more recent Ubuntu releases, Firefox is a snap and automatically updates itself. Then there was uh, another update for Firefox actually because there was a regression in that uh, from upstream. So there's 113.0.1 is now in those releases. Similarly, we updated Thunderbird. Uh, actually, I should say thank you to the desktop team who do all the work preparing uh, these updates for Firefox and Thunderbird. Thank you for all your hard work on those. Uh, we essentially just publish them and do some extra testing. Uh, but yeah, Thunderbird is now updated to the upstream version 102.11.04 for um, you know, all of our recent uh, supported releases. So that's 2304, uh, 2210, 2204 LTS, 2004 LTS, and 18.04 LTS. We also had an update for MySQL related to a regression in uh, the version that was published that I talked about back in last week's episode. Um, basically, the latest upstream release for MySQL 8, 8.0.33 introduced a regression on 32-bit ARM platforms, essentially where they would crash on startup. <laughs> so to fix that, uh, Mark Delorier, in this case, tracked down an upstream commit that needed to be reverted uh, that was originally introduced to help uh, with performance of atomic operations, but yeah, it caused a uh, you know, crash basically on 32 32-bit ARM, so that was uh, reverted, and yeah, 32-bit ARM and all the other platforms are now much happier now, so thanks, Mark. Uh, Synapse was updated, the Matrix home server for 1804 LTS users. Uh, various issues here, uh, These are yeah, some of these go back a while, but um, issues like uh, failure to properly check signatures on various APIs, failure to properly apply event visibility rules, uh, there was a denial of service that was actually being seen exploited in the wild that was fixed. Um, it had a bunch of issues with insufficient randomness, both when uh, generating random IDs, obviously that would you know make them uh, guessable, uh, plus uh, the ability to therefore impersonate users uh, in other places. Uh, what else? The ability for unauthorized users to hijack rooms, the ability to spoof events due to improper signature validation. Uh, it should be noted, I guess, that some of these, uh, you had to be the admin of a room or to potentially uh, ha be a malicious server, but given the federated nature of Matrix, uh, that's not so implausible. Someone could just deploy uh, a malicious server and you know federate that into all the others and you know, trigger these vulnerabilities. So they have all been fixed for signups on uh, 18.04 LTS. We had an update for libwebp, uh, the image handling library. Uh, a double free when handling crafted content was fixed there. Uh, OpenJDK was updated to all the latest upstream point releases there. Um, it looks like most Ubuntu releases support one, more than one version of OpenJDK. And so we've updated OpenJDK versions 20, 17, 11, and 8 across uh, all the various Ubuntu releases that those are in. Uh, and up uh, for the, to round out the security updates for the week was an update for event source. Uh, this is the event source client for Node.js had an information leak. Essentially, it could leak cookies and authorization headers uh, to third-party applications because uh, because it wasn't properly respecting the same origin policy and it should have been sanitizing headers uh, to avoid that, but it wasn't. But yeah, that has been updated now for event source all the way back to 1604 uh, ESM. So that's available as part of Ubuntu Pro plus 1804 LTS, 2004 LTS, and 2204 LTS as well. Okay, so uh, as part of the podcast this week, I wanted to look at uh, a recent um, actual newsletter article that I saw um, from the Pragmatic Engineer that was talking about an outage at uh, Datadog. 
And uh, sadly, it turned out this outage was actually caused by uh, an update to SystemD on uh, their Ubuntu machines. And uh, Datadog is uh, an observability service. Uh, they provide you know, services to lots of customers. And obviously, they had an outage, I think, in this case, for about 24 hours. So not a great outcome. And as a security team, you know, not maybe not great for us. But I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of dig into that and kind of see what, what happened there and um, you know, kind of talk about, uh, I guess, ways that that might better be avoided. And rather than just talk about it myself, because talking to myself is a bit boring, um, I've got Camilla with me again. So, uh, hey, Camilla. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, thank you for, oh, sorry. Thank you for inviting me to discuss this today. Hey, no worries. It's always awesome to have you have you on board. Um, yeah, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. And uh, actually, the first time we've done it uh, in person like this. So, this is really cool. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Camilla, uh, like I said, this article, um, they talk about this outage at Datadog and it was around um, SystemD. I actually found this article really interesting because they, they try to look at this update to SystemD and, you know, look at the couple, and they say it was a security update, and a couple of vulnerabilities and try to figure out, well, it patched this CVE and I think one of them was a buffer overflow and... I should forget what the other one was, but you know they're trying to go. Well, could either of these have been responsible? And it turned out, um, as far as they could see, that neither of the actual fixes themselves were responsible. But it was just the act of updating System D, as I understand it, that caused this. Yeah, uh, I read the article as well, and from my understanding, it was the fact that System D restarts, and then uh, System D network D restarted and kind of deleted some data, networking data that was necessary for the system to communicate. And then everything just came crashing down. And the consequences of the the update, which caused systemd to restart, that was my understanding of it. So it would seem <laughs> in the beginning that the problem was the systemd update, for, but the person who wrote the article did an awesome kind of like deep dive into the actual problem and we start seeing like as we funnel down into the causes and analyze oh it's not the patch it's not the buffer overflow patch that caused this issue it's not the other i also don't remember which was which was the other one uh but it wasn't the other one that caused this issue so what was the problem and then we see it's like it's not even specifically system d uh, or the behavior of system D that caused the problem specifically. It's like the combination of that and the whole structure that they had. And then it was all made worse by the fact that it was such a critical infrastructure for them. So, yeah. Yeah, I um, look like they were running Cilium. Uh, I think it's some Kubernetes component uh, that was doing yeah, a bunch of, uh, or had set up a bunch of routes and then by restarting system D network D that, you know, removed all those routes and then suddenly they lost, you know, networking to all their pods and all their uh, control plane and things like that. Uh, and it sounds like it must have been, uh, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to be one of their SREs trying to respond to this because if the outage lasted 24 hours or so, I think as this quoted, um, it sounds like it would have been quite hectic trying to debug it and deal with that. Yeah, I can only imagine like trying to figure out what was the reason. It must have been very complicated. Reading the article, I was like, oh man, I don't, I I feel sorry for the people that had to debug this yeah, no. and I'm happy I'm not there because <laughs> it would have been a very hard debug. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, as a security team, like reading this stuff, um, 
you know, we have a lot of sympathy for our customers and our users when this happens. You know, we try to be as thorough as we can be when we do security updates and we try to test them. And in this case, it wasn't a regression from the security update, you know, as the, the, the person writing this article even dug into it and found out, it was just this act of restarting system D as part of the update that then brought down um, these other routes that were kind of sitting on top of, I guess, system D network D. It, it wasn't aware of those in the system and it didn't really know to preserve them um, on restart. And I kind of wonder, is, is this a, a, the nature of system D being such a core component in, you know, Ubuntu systems nowadays and it manages so many different aspects of the system and that, you know, for any um, update to the package, all these different services get restarted. And then if you've got some other complex application that's deployed on top, you know, it, it feels like it's not surprising that every now and then, you know, you're going to get these kind of outcomes. Uh, yeah, I feel like we as the security team, as you mentioned, we try our best to avoid any kind of regressions. Uh, we do so much testing, like we test on virtual environments. We have uh, automatic tests to check out if other packages are possibly breaking because of an update. But it's very hard, especially, for example, this is a great example because it's such a specific situation and you, you can't cover all of the possible environments that you're going to have even for these critical packages so i feel like especially like you were mentioning how critical system d is i think it is important especially if you have such a specific environment and this environment is also a critical environment to maybe monitor a little bit more closely uh updates like these uh especially to the software that is so let's say important to even start the system as is system d or that encompasses a lot of components in your system is like managing a lot of things because yeah you can't guarantee that the update won't break your specific system because as we know like the more line of codes you have the more bugs you have the more components you have to your system the more uh, possibilities you might have for it to break with an update and it's not necessarily the patches fault or the updates fault it's just like the the whole scenario right you have a, a very detailed situation with many moving parts and it sometimes one of the moving parts might be affected in a way that we couldn't predict that uh, that is what I mean to say and then I guess the good thing about open source and the patches that we apply, for example, is that you can check out what we're changing uh, and look at the patches, maybe look at the CVE and kind of do a comparison to your system and see how could this affect me negative, negatively? How will this software update impact my specific system? So uh, I feel like in these types of situations, you could add more to the automatic update and kind of follow these automatic updates more closely in order to possibly and hopefully avoid situations like what happened to Datadog. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, you know, one, two systems come pre-configured to install all uh, security updates through uh, the unintended upgrades package and it um, is configured, I think, every 24 hours. It checks um, for new updates and it only applies them if they're security updates. It doesn't apply, um, you know, regular bug fix updates. 
Um, and that's, I think, a really good kind of default posture that we have in Ubuntu, a really good default configuration, because it means that anyone installing an Ubuntu system is um, going to be automatically patched on quite a frequent cycle. And that's going to, kind of, I guess, automatically keep them up to date and protected. But um, it does mean that uh, there's no direct control over that as the end user. Um, yeah, so it happens automatically. And so for most people, if you're a desktop user or, I don't know, I've got a little Ubuntu um, instance running uh, on AWS and I run a bunch of services on that and I don't want to have to bother managing that. I just want it to stay up to date. And so I have that configured there. I've not, not disabled it. And I kind of thought it was interesting this Datadog article talks about that as a legacy update stream i think was the words they used and i mean i don't see unattended upgrades as legacy in any way it's you know it's a core kind of component of ubuntu but it is something to be aware of um you know coming from say uh like i don't know windows environments where you've got more managed systems and you know i think a lot of uh maybe a lot of uh, sysadmins are kind of used to either the patch tuesday approach where yep security updates only come out once a once a month and so therefore you know you can kind of plan your your updates and your outages where for us you know we're releasing security updates all the time and so any day of the week you could have something that's updated but you can take a similar approach in ubuntu but it is it is more work you need to manually configure that and um, I actually found uh, a blog post that was written by the uh, product manager of Landscape that describes a bunch of approaches. And um, I'll put a link into the show notes. I won't go into too much detail here, but the, the, I guess the one thing I found quite interesting there and not to kind of spruik canonical products too much, but um, describing Landscape mm -hmm. where you can, you know, it's a centralized uh, managed system uh, that allows you to kind of enroll, say, a fleet of machines and you install a, a small agent on each of them that manages them. And then it, you know, keeps track of what packages are on there, what updates are, you know, needed and that kind of thing. And then you can configure these, uh, I think it called upgrade profiles, where then you can say, I want to upgrade all those machines, you know, at a given time um, for these given packages. And you can manage all of those those updates. And I think that's um, probably where most of these larger enterprises, particularly where they have, um, like you described, quite um, critical infrastructure. Uh, a lot of it is homogenous. So they've got the same kind of setup everywhere, you know, you, uh, and therefore if there's a particular update that, that goes bad, everything's going to get taken out as a result. And so you want to have some way of managing that. And um, yeah, landscape is one way to do that, one way that, that I know of. But um, yeah, certainly trying to take back a bit more control. And like you said, being able to be aware of updates before you apply them, I think is, is probably a much better approach in that, in that environment. Yeah, like I, I also feel the same way as you do. Like, I feel like automatic updates are important. I mean, isn't this was what computing and IT is all about? Making things automatic to make life easier. It's like the eternal goal when yeah. you work with IT. Uh, so I think it's valuable to have automatic updates, especially if your system isn't a complex system or even like if you're a regular user just using Ubuntu on your computer, why not have the automatic updates? You keep your environment safe and you don't have to worry about manually applying everything every time. Like there are situations where it's extremely like, I feel like it's the best way to do it because why am I going to keep manually updating, checking every CVE when the uh, my system is simple enough to have the updates be automatically applied to me uh, but there are as i mentioned like the very specific situations where maybe the automatic updates are not enough and to make an analogy like 
to uh, apply to these situations. If you think about like your own your own body as being a system, sometimes you get hurt or you get sick, but it's something simple like you I don't know, scratch your your knee or you you hit your your foot on on something. And then if 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 you feel like it's not something too intense or too bad, you're not going to go to the doctor to check it out. You kind of wait it out and let your body kind of patch those issues for you like automatically. But there are situations when you kind of start to see, hey, maybe this is starting to get a bit too intense. I am feeling more pain than I should feel. Or these symptoms seem to be something that are not as simple as I would expect. Or maybe even I know that I have this specific, I don't know, uh, family condition. And then these symptoms when applied to this specific family condition could mean something even worse. And then you go to the doctor and the doctor will help you kind of patch your issues with the help of other things. So I feel like this is what we should have for our security environments. Like you have the automatic updates for the simple situations, but you have someone to help you and guide you and someone that actually knows the system knows how it works as a doctor knows how bodies work and how everything regarding well not everything but they try super hard and study for a very long time to know how diseases work in the body you have this person that will understand the system the architecture of the system and the software that that kind of interacts with everything to know if a security update will cause more than just the expected behavior so you have to know your system and you have to understand like, will the simple updates be enough for me or will, will I need more than just the automatic updates and the simple updates in order to guarantee that this system, especially if it is a critical system, will work appropriately. And I feel like that should be a part maybe of even uh, appropriately managing your security and even when defining like, risks maybe you should include like is automatic security fixes something that will increase my risk in this specific critical system yeah i think you're right um i often think i've said it on the podcast but i've certainly said it uh to people before but i think that um you know security vulnerabilities are often theoretical risks uh to most users most customers you know they're either not running the given software or it's not in the right configuration or it's not exposed to the internet or they don't have untrusted users on it or whatever it might be that means that that given vulnerability is not really an issue for them but uh you know if, well, particularly thinking about security regressions if we release an update and that actually breaks something you know we've we've kind of handed them a problem now and it's kind of similar here where you know having uh, like you said that kind of risk management approach of you know is it more risk to automatically apply security updates when you know maybe that vulnerability is not a real issue for you compared to you know having a chance to test them and uh, schedule them and then roll them out at some fixed you know time when you know that you know either you can handle that downtime or you've got engineers on hand to respond if something goes wrong or you've been able to first test it on a you know a test bed before you run it, roll it out into production or, or whatever it may be and yeah i guess maybe that's that's just the the nature of complex computing environments nowadays you know things as much as we try to make things easy you know unattended upgrades and the like you know it ultimately it does come back i guess to uh everyone knowing their own their own posture and you know like you said i guess doing that risk management and trying to trying to take the best approach for them 
Yeah, and I feel like not being scared as well of some things not being able to be automatic. Like, I think we're always like as a society, <laughs> let's get philosophical here. We're, we're always in a rush always to get things done and making things automatic helps us be more efficient, get things done in a quicker way. But there are situations where you're gonna need to have the attention to detail and the automatic solution will sometimes not cater to that. You're gonna have to go and do things manually, but sometimes it is worth it because if you have this kind of uh, care, you avoid situations when you end up losing more time because you have to fix your system that is broken. So maybe if you had spent, I don't know, three hours kind of analyzing and checking out, making sure, modeling the whole thing, you could have avoided a lot more hours, like the several hours you're going to waste possibly trying to fix a problem that you don't know exactly where it started. So, I mean, obviously, let's try to automate things when possible. But my my opinion on this is let's also not fear the situations where having a more specialized kind of treatment to systems and uh, IT architectures is necessary, even if it is a manual kind of thing or a more time consuming kind of things. Yeah, I think I agree. So I guess in summary, I wonder if things are complex, automatic is good, except when it's not. And, and <laughs> you need to know your own environment and, um, you know, know what's going into there and I guess manage security updates like you would any other, um, almost any other software update or software upgrade that you may do. And, and sometimes you can do that automatically. And yeah, if you've got a complex environment, sometimes you can't. Yeah. And I also abuse the fact that open source is open source and if you are using open source in your system like check out the patches check out the updates check out the software it's it's gonna help you right so yeah, yeah. we're open source and that's good <laughs> yeah yeah know what you're consuming definitely all right um cool thanks so much for joining me today camilla i um i really hope we can do this again that was so much fun yeah thank you so much for having me i hope uh we get to do more of these kind of have these kind of conversations, these kind of discussions. Uh, yeah, thank you. It was very interesting. <laughs> okay, and so that takes us actually to the end of this week's episode. Thanks everyone for listening again for another week and thank you Camilla for joining me this week. That was so much fun talking about that with you. We will have definitely have to do that again. In the meantime, if anyone listening to this wants to get in contact, give us any of your feedback about this episode or anything else Ubuntu Security, you can email us security You can also come and chat to us live in uh, the Ubuntu Security channel on libera.chat or hey, you can find us on Fediverse. We are at Ubuntu Security at fosterdon.org over there. Come and hit us up there with anything you want as well. Okay, so I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.